are becoming more stringent when it comes to processing home loan applications, and many buyers fall short in overpromising and underdelivering with their vendor when it comes to buying a property subject to finance. Today, we are going to talk about understanding the terms pre-approval and approval when it comes to securing a home loan. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent, and invest right. Your host is Sue Langda. Real Copyright is one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting services who love to help and serve their clients. We listen to how you want your property to be marketed. We understand the complexities of the processes and we have an extensive knowledge of property, architecture and interior design. If you want a copywriter with decades of experience, contact us on 5977-889 to discuss how we can help you with all your copywriting needs. Evan Davis, founder and CEO of MoneyCat Finance, has over 16 years of experience in mortgage broking and multiple successful ventures in the property development and investment space. Evan specialises in self-employed lending and has a passion for helping Australians realise the great Australian dream of home ownership. Welcome, Evan. How are you today? Hello, Sue. I'm very well. Thank you for having me back. I really enjoyed our last uh, podcast. I'm looking forward to this one. It's going to be amazing. Can you believe it's over? It's almost a year, I think, to the day that um, <laughs> we did the first one. Anyway, thanks for coming back. Wow. Yep. Um, now, how are you finding the money market? Is it good to get money or is it a bit stressful? It is always a good time to get money, and uh, it's a particularly good time to get money at the moment because it's still highly affordable. So money is still historically crazy, super-duper cheap. So if it provides a big benefit to you and um, you can afford it, get it. Uh, It's probably going to get more expensive over time. In fact, I would say it's almost certainly going to get more expensive over time. However, uh, we are still a highly regulated industry, and we are facing maybe some headwinds, maybe a new government, uh, certainly, of course, a federal election. And uh, we are facing uh, potentially an increasing cost of interest rates. So interest rates are very likely to go up over a period of time. That's been strongly indicated by all the powers of be, including the Bank. Mm-hmm. Though um, being a highly regulated industry, you still need to be very organised. Yes. It's cheap, but it's probably never been harder to get money. Though um, the federal government and also the opposition have indicated uh, their support for a robust property market and they've also uh, secured their support for the broking industry. Post-Royal Commission, it was a a slightly uncertain place for my fellow brokers and myself, though that has been resolved uh, universally in our favour. Um, so mortgage broking, very much here to stay, which is terrific. Yeah. And uh, depending on the aggregator you speak to, we now originate 70% or depending on the aggregator, perhaps even a lot more than that of new loans written. So we uh, we make a lot more sense than going direct to the bank. Yeah, sounds good. Now, today's topic is about pre-approvals and approvals when it comes to bank lending mm-hmm. for property. Now, I'm going to put oh. you in a, in a little bit of a uh, sort of case 
study kind of, or just, you know, an example of, of a couple going for money. So we're going to talk about first home buyers, Stacey and Kobe. They have saved for the last two years and been inspecting properties to get a feel for the market, but they haven't yet approached a bank or mortgage broker because they weren't ready financially, but now they are. Now explain in easy to understand terms what they need to know. So what is a pre-approval? Well, a pre-approval or an approval in principle is a formal nod from a lending institution that they will give you money, okay? A good, robust pre-approval or approval in principle will confirm the absolute maximum borrowing power given the client's individual circumstances. So uh, that comes down to very fundamentally how much they've got by way of an asset, a deposit, so cash, shares, (laughs) in this in the light and age, even cryptocurrency. Yeah. And uh, it also comes down to the borrowing power. So uh, a pre-approval or an approval in principle basically means you've gone to a lender, either directly or probably through a broker, 70% yeah. chance you've gone through a broker, and you have asked that lender through an application process, which in almost all cases will be cost and obligation free, to get a formal assessment of what your maximum buying price and borrowing power loan amount is likely to be. Okay. It's a very important step. Uh, most people wait for their pre-approval to be fully assessed and a letter to be issued before they then go and start the cut and thrust and actual negotiation on properties they might like to buy mm-hmm. because they know with that letter in their hip pocket how much they're able to spend yes. without putting themselves through the ringer. Buying a property can be uh, a stressful process. Are we going to get it? Are we not? Um, so you really should, I think, as a buyer, want to remove the will we get a loan question as well. You really just want to focus on closing the deal, getting your first home, your second home, your dream home. So in Stacey and Kobe's case, getting their first home. So Stacey and Kobe should certainly talk to me or another broker and get a robust approval in principle or pre-approval underway. So they've got that all-important letter that says, bang, you may buy for up to X hundred thousand dollars. You will need to commit however much the deposit might be, however much the cost might be. And we've also measured your income and your earning power. And we think that you can comfortably borrow this as a maximum loan without uh, needing to stretch or find another lender that might lend more. So it's a very, very important first step you really want to do that before you actually think about signing a contract to sale ideally you want to think about getting an approval in principle before uh, you even really start dealing with realestate.com or domain.com or homely.com so yeah you want to get as good a pre-approval as you you can and there are different levels of pre-approval which i'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit but in an ideal circumstance you don't want to get just a smells good letter or computer says yes letter you ideally want to get an approval letter from a lender where your file has been properly and meaningfully assessed which means that a human being has actually done some work on the file the credit assessor uh or a uh, a risk officer if there's a vendor mortgage insurance uh premium on it you want to make sure that you've actually had a fully assessed pre-approval because many many lenders actually for their own cost and time saving just feed uh, applicants through uh, an, an algorithm, a computer program, and that spits back a yes or a yes subject to all the generic terms and conditions. And it may not in that instance be a pre-approval that's been properly vetted. So you could potentially find that you then go and buy and it's then that the lender 
hits you with a big list of PFIs pending further information. And it's possible if you haven't had your pre-approval properly done by a human being, it's possible that you might find you're ineligible even though you thought you were eligible because of the nuances and the subtleties of bank policy, which can have all sorts of impacts. So just to cut that down into small chunks. So, for instance, as you said, the the computer algorithm thing could mean Mm -hmm. that you get a you know, an email coming back to saying you've been pre-approved for, say, say Stacey and Kobe's had, you know, they've got saved up 100 grand. They've been told they can borrow 600, for instance. I don't know, just Sorry. round figures sort of thing. Um, so they could physically go out and buy a $700,000 property, maybe 650 with stamps or whatever, you know, you, yeah. however you want to work it out. But that's what they've been told they can do. Now, if if they're getting the the computer-generated one, which, yeah, as you said, yeah. may be, uh, cons- you know, still subject to, was it predetermined fund? Oh. So um, the best way of thinking about it is uh, anyone that's been working for a little while and maybe, yeah. maybe borrowed a bit of money, really any adult Australian will have probably started their Equifax credit file. Yeah. So in the old days, we called it different things, but... Credit reporting in Australia is now positive credit reporting rather than negative credit reporting. Once upon a time, the things that we credit file would be inquiries for loans, inquiries for credit cards, and um, you'd only get a blot, mm. if you like, on your credit file if you'd done something uh, outside the norm with the credit contract, paid things very late, had defaults, had arrears, that sort of stuff. The algorithm now is a lot more sophisticated. The banks talk to one another, all of their software is uh, dynamic and in many instances a great deal of the information is just shared. And what happens is when you behave correctly under your contract, you pay your debts on time, you pay your various uh, repayments on time, that's reflected positively with points that go into your credit file. And if you duff things up and you, you pay things late or you don't pay things at all or you fall into arrears on debt facilities, that actually takes points away. So a a healthy credit file numerically might have uh, a score 700, 800 plus, and a very healthy credit score file might be 900 plus, and the top points allocated is 1,200. I'm yet to actually see a credit file. Not all banks banks credit score, which is the term, but many, many do. So, for example, Macquarie Bank, who is targeting, generally speaking, the higher quality candidates, meaning the less risky candidates, meaning the candidates that typically have the bigger deposits, typically have large incomes or typically have great debt-to-servicing ratio, debt-to-income ratio, so they're easily able to make their repayments. Those banks rely on a credit gatekeeper, a computer gatekeeper, and certain candidates won't get through that. The system will just measure their assets, their liabilities, their repayment history, and just say no. So in other instances, the system is sophisticated enough to let someone through, yeah. but it may be sophisticated enough to understand postcode restrictions or may not understand um, overtime or permissions or bonuses. There are a multitude of things yeah. within when it's properly reviewed. It might be the case that the credit officer, once the person's bought, thinking they're approved, properly assess a file, and they may say, well, you're eligible for nothing at all under our policy or you're eligible for less. And in the instance that it's less, 
that might be that there's not enough money between their asset, mm-hmm. their deposit, their funds, yeah. and the loan to complete the transaction. Yeah. So there are def- many lenders. Yeah. So definitely get that human yeah. overlooking it with a proper piece yeah. of paper. And you know. if you talk to a good broker like myself, we'll be able to identify the lenders that do a full assessment. The first that springs to mind, my my office, we do an awful lot of lending every month. And if we are doing a pre-approval, we'll generally have CBA as an example as a lender that's high on the list yeah. because they do fully verified files. And at the moment, their turnaround times are actually reasonably fair. They can actually get to most cases within a week and uh, they'll go through things professionally and well. They'll measure the, the debts, the credit cards, the various facilities that a customer might have, and they'll actually come back with uh, a much more robust approval than someone perhaps like a Macquarie Bank. But again, it's horses for courses and no two borrowers, no two lenders are uh, the same. Um, everyone's got their own nuances. So yeah. Stacey and Kobe, They've got a great deposit there, $100,000. That goes a long way. They're first home buyers. They're looking at probably buying at or around seven hundred. dollars So they'll have standard concessions there if they're first home buyers, as you've said. And uh, they would very much, uh, entering the property market for the first time, want to have that approval in principle. There are heaps of people. It might surprise you, but there are heaps of people that take a leap of faith and buy without one. But what what that can uh, do is in, what they can do is create a lot of stress when you're committed mm. with a deadline to settle or committed with a deadline for finance and then you find that the lender keeps coming back and asking for more and more from you to verify your paperwork your documents your situation so it's great if you can get that all done ahead of time so there are less questions there are always questions, questions okay so now once we've got the pre-approval in writing, looked at by a human, what can it yeah. allow you to do? It'll allow you to have a much more pleasant time with buying yeah. because you have the nod. You've got the nod from the lender, so you can go out there with a higher and uh, much more commercial mind to it. You can go out there with a great, greater sense of confidence yeah. that uh, you're approved where others may not be, and then you can more confidently put your hand up in the air on an option day, or you can more confidently make an offer on the property. And what can be very impressive when you're buying is making an unconditional offer. So if you do have a credit approval that's robust, um, you can say, I'm buying this property unconditionally. You might be able to secure the property for less than the next buyer because they might require a finance period, or you might be able to secure it at a lower price because you're ready to deal. You're basically ready to play the game. You've got your, you've got your duck lined up. Yeah. And that's the, yeah, that's a great beauty of it because if you're, if you've got that confidence, there's so many people that do go in, you know, subject to finance or subject to anything uh-huh. like pest and building res- inspections, all that stuff. You can say, I'm happy to buy this right now on your terms or whatever it is. Spot on, spot on. The other biggie is auctions. Um, when you oh, attend yeah. an auction, you're playing for keeps. Yeah. So if you're putting your hand up in the air and you're the last, best, fairest winning bid, you've got the damn thing, yeah. you want to have a pre-approval behind you because there's no getting out of an auction contract. Yeah. You're bought unconditionally. You don't have a three-day calling off period, and even if it's riddled with termites, there's no getting out of it. So yeah. you've got to have your pre-approval if you want to attend an auction. Yes, definitely. Now, there is concern. How long does it last? Oh, that's a good question. Every lender is different. Uh-huh. So you want to check your T's and C's. Yeah. Make sure you actually read your pre-approval letter. Yeah. When you have the nod from the bank, bloody well read it. Lots of gooses don't. Geese don't, I should say. Yeah. 
And um, what that means is some lenders have only 30 days because they might be a second tier or a non-conforming lender. It's far more common that it's a three-month pre-approval. Okay. And uh, there aren't very many lenders left that are offering six-month pre-approvals. Okay. Uh, CBA are the first one that spring to my mind at the moment. So uh, generally with my clients, we do a double-barrel kind of approach. We will have the consultation, which is cost and obligation free. Yeah. We'll select a lender based on policy. Will they say yes? And then the next concern, of course, is price. Is it well competitive? Is it well and fairly priced? Is it competitive? Yeah. But when you're selecting your pre-approval, you kind of need to be business focused. You need to be commercial. You need to get most bang for your buck, which in most cases is the biggest line size. Um, having a pre-approval with one lender that's fully approved you, subject to the valuation on the property and subject to the settlement conditions, yeah. having a lender that's fully approved doesn't mean that you can't then apply somewhere else if you need less money or if yeah. a special's come out somewhere else or if something is more competitive or better for you. So we do a two-barrel approach. We tell our clients 60-day settlement or longer, yeah. and that gives us time to do a second consultation when the contract is signed, it's signed, and it gives us the ability to, if there is something better, we can apply for that as well. Yeah as well as taking the first approval to full approval and therefore meaning they've got a safety net, they're all done. Yeah, all good. Um, but six months is the longest you can get Six months would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, totally. There's so many people miscounted. Once upon a time, they used to be up to 12 months. Can you believe it? But Royal Commission, um, the Banking Royal Commission uh, indicated that lenders need to constantly refresh their understanding of their client situation to constantly make sure they are not lending in a predatory fashion or an unethical fashion uh, or uh, a way that's going to um, in any way impact on the financial well-being of the clients. So there are stress tests in a pre-approval, the bank's service uh, and check the borrowing power of customers as though the rates were much higher than they actually are selling. Uh, and that's another way of making sure that they don't uh, lend too much and put people in the strong. Yeah, because essentially, like, people can lose jobs, babies can come out in nine months, that, in that 12-month period. They okay. um, I've noticed that as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, all those sort of things. But then again, at the same time, looking on the positive side, you could have got yourself a promotion. Yeah, you might earn more money yeah. or you might have a change in your employment situation um, and also uh, rates can go up. So if rates can, if rates do start to go up, that will generally reduce a borrower's borrowing power. So um, if rates are at 7% with the stress test on top, that might take the stress, the assessment rate, the stress test rate to 9.5%, 10%. Um, at the moment, good money starts really at high ones or even low twos for principal and interest owner-occupier variable loans. And even when they're padded with a stress test rate and an assessment rate, that obviously obviously, uh, then pushes out the borrowing power. And then if rates were to rise from that, it'll all change again and become, uh, you'd be able to potentially borrow less depending on your income. So lots can change in three or six months, but when... Uh, your approvals issue. If three months goes past and uh, you haven't had the right property come up, mm. you haven't found the, the asset that you want to commit to, it's very easy in most cases to uh, refresh the pre-approval. Lenders just check that you're still in the same line of work. Uh, they just get updated pay slips generally. Um, they may or may not even need an extra signature uh, just to refresh the application form. Uh, but, uh, yeah, your broker will spoon feed you through that process and keep an eye on it as well, or at least a good broker will. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, certainly it's smart to 
jot down the date on your calendar or it's smart to print the letter and stick it on your fridge and highlight the date that it expires. It's smart to stay on top of yeah. that. And if you've got a unique situation where you're self-employed and your business fluctuates or you rely on a lender mortgage insurance waiver for whatever reason, if you're relying on something that's just outside, slightly outside the box, then you want to just be very vigilant with your approval date and just make sure that things don't change because the big the big one is lending policy can change. Uh, a great example of that this morning is one of our lenders, Kudos, who we place a lot of expat work with, has decided after oh, must be a decade more uh, of uh, specialising in lending to expats. They've completely removed themselves from that space. Mm-hmm. So we get an email as the broker today saying, get these deals in by 5pm Friday, otherwise we don't want them. Uh-huh. And that is so common in my in my industry. Yeah. It's even possible we can get less notice than that. So if your approval happened to it, so let's say for the sake of argument, I've got a client who's still got a month left on that pre-approval, they're an expat, they need to stay on top of their date because if they come back to us after 5pm this Friday, they wouldn't re-qualify for the same loan and therefore if they weren't on top of their date and they weren't on top of when their approval expired, they could come back to us a month from now with a contract and no product to settle that loan if their pre-approval had expired. It's important to say that if the lender commits to something for three months, even if they change their policy or the world has a seismic shift, yeah. they still are obliged. They have to. Uh, uh, they have to honour what's been approved, yeah. though beyond the expiry date on the pre-approval date. So, yeah, know when your date is. Yes, yeah. definitely. What will help you get your pre-approval through faster? Is there any quick and easy way to get Absolutely. Yeah. Be the fortune favours the brave, but it also favours the organised. So your broker will give you a list of things to bring your supply to the Zoom meeting or the face-to-face meeting. And though this is still 2022 and we're meant to be digital and very clever, so much of the approval process still relies on the documents that, the supporting documents that a customer supplies, payslips, group certificates, the old terminology, um, tax returns if you're self-employed. So uh, the more you can supply earlier in the process, if you can give the broker the full deck of cards to play with, yeah. um, statements for your salary credits, uh, statements for your deposit, your savings, um, share certificates if you're a share investor, your ID, driver's license, passport, the more you can give the broker, the earlier, the better. Yeah. And then that means it's all on hand. Again, disclaimer, 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 it is a lot, there's a lot of red tape in my industry, a huge amount of bureaucracy, and it's really almost always the way that a credit officer or a lender mortgage insurer will justify their job by asking for something that they didn't ask for the first time. So it's not always your broker's fault if they come back to you and ask you for more stuff. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, the more you can supply earlier, the better. And in the build-up to ever wanting credit, just pay all your bills on time, pay all your credit cards on time, try to have no interest on your credit cards, Try to save money rather than spend it all. So if you've got an appreciating balance in your deposit account, all of these things will make getting a credit approval easier. But the biggest, biggest, biggest one is no question genuine savings, particularly if you're a first home buyer. If you're wanting to buy your first asset and if you're wanting to leverage greater than 80% of the value of the asset, which is very common for first home buyers, 
you'll need to meet the genuine savings test. So we're talking about dear old Stacey and Kobe. Yep. And I think you said they've got about hundred. Uh, they're looking potentially yeah hundred thousand dollars in savings. Um, because they're likely to borrow in our previous example of uh, a $700,000 purchase, they're likely to need to, well, they will be borrowing greater than 80% of that. Uh, they're going to need to demonstrate to a lender that they've met the genuine savings test. And in most cases, that'll mean that they've held 5% of the contract amount for longer than three months without it diminishing below the 5% in general okay. terms. There's subtleties and nuances there. Some lenders will accept a rental ledger. So if you've been renting a property for a while and it's in your name, sometimes that'll meet the stress test. But Stacey and Kobe might also have a parental guarantee, in which case the genuine savings rules don't apply. Or they might, if they had the same 5% in shares, that would meet the requirement. And because they're first home buyers, this won't work, but had they had they not been first home buyers and if they had another property, they would automatically entitle them to meeting the genuine savings test. So um, there are nuances on everything that I've just said between the different lenders and uh, the, the subtleties or even the vast differences in lending policy between each lender. Yeah. Um, as a customer, you don't need to know them, but that's why you come to a broker yeah. is the experience. Yeah. Sounds good yeah. and complicated. <laughs> But, yes, it's nice to know that what we're here at Real Estate Ride doing is trying to soften the blow because it's so stressful when all those extra questions get asked. Oh, we need more documents about this. We need more documents. Just knowing that you're prepared for that. Yeah, that's terrible. One of the best ways um, to get organised and one of the neatest tools, a lot of brokers use a platform, bankstatements.com. And uh, a customer can be sent a link and you can just go, I bank with ANZ, CBA, Bank First. You can list the institutions and then you simply put in your IDs, which remain completely confidential, of course. But it generates a report. It simply scrapes your accounts, produces a report that the broker can use because it's got all the correct identifiers on there. And that will just concisely put all the things into the right date range and identify all of the ins and outs and ups and downs. It's a really neat tool. Yeah, a massive delay in getting the thing is supplying not enough documents, no documents at all, or the documents in the wrong format. Yeah. The number of times, if I had a dollar for every time I had to ring a customer and say, oh, thank you, you've downloaded the ANZ, last 120 days of your account, but it doesn't have your name on it. It's only got yeah. a VSB account number, therefore it could be anybody. Well, CSV1 or whatever it is. Oh, worse than useless for what we do. <laughs> <laughs> You need to download, it's silly, but you need to download a letterhead statement that marries up and talks to the same date range yeah. as the transaction history report because um, everything gets, I, everything is scrutinized yeah. line by line by line by line by line. So the, most lenders these days don't delay files with the extra cup of coffee you're buying. And yeah. a little while ago, we were greatly frustrated with comments around expenditure and voluntary expenditure and and all this sort of thing. But lenders now are much more sensible. There's a lot more benchmarking. If you're spending $1,000 a week on sports bet, they will ask. Um, (laughs) But if you're eating out, a good lender will not kick you in the guts too much about Uber Eats or the the Chardonnay purchase at Thirsty Camel or whatever it might be. Yeah. So as long as yeah, as long as you can demonstrate you've actually had the capacity to save and you don't spend one hundred and twenty cents out of every dollar you earn, yeah. you're going to get across the line. But again, um it is still a process. Yes. So it's 
sensible to be as organised as you can for the meeting. Um, even if during the meeting you need an extra 20 minutes while you're talking to the broker to trawl through your laptop and get the stuff, do it. Do it all on the spot yeah. because it can all go to the lender then in one go yeah. and it can all go to the lender in one instance and the broker, the smart broker, will get enough that they can cover every eventuality but then only use what they need to use. Yeah. So, yeah, your broker's job as much as getting you a yes and the cheapest yes possible your broker's job is there with a machete to cut through red tape and hack that out of the way so that you actually think it's really not that bad a process. So, yeah, but as organised as you can be and being disorganised will simply delay the process and being disorganised will simply frustrate you because you'll know what you want, you'll know the number that you want and you'll be waiting weeks or even months to get it. So it's, it's really good to line up all the docs, read the checklist, Work out what the broker is asking for. If the broker is using bankstatements.com, it's a secure platform. It will speed it up for you. Yeah, sounds good. Now, if you have a pre-approval, is it for a certain interest rate or is it just purely you've got a pre-approval? You will get a pre-approval. I'm not aware of any pre-approval that doesn't nominate an interest rate. So it will be for a specific product from the lender. The products all have goofy names like Rocket Repay with Westpac or the Bank Package Wealth Package with CBA or the Alt Dot Prime with Resimac. They've all got goofy names which probably won't mean a lot to Sorry? Advantage Plus. Well, my personal favourite was the, it's, it's long gone now, but my personal favourite was the Mortgage Shredder with Bank West years ago. And I thought that was a little bit of a misnomer. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really didn't seem to provide any clients of mine at least with any great advantage in clearing their loan faster. However, yeah, any product will have the rate in there and any product will have the branding in there. Um, many, many, many lenders allow a broker, particularly a good broker who's got a good volume of work and a decent business, to price loans. So a good broker should be able to, uh, depending on the product, and not all lenders price, but depending on the product, you might be able to get an additional discount. You want to make sure that's represented in the literature that you get back. Um, the other big, big, big one is in most cases you'll be getting pre-approved for a variable rate loan yes. and there is a method to that madness. You haven't got a property yet. Your property might be a month, two, three, six or even 12 months away. It's possible. And all interest rates, all products are subject to change on a daily basis without warning. That could be anything from the deleting a product to they're putting the rate up or they're putting the rate down. Yeah. All the interest rates are similarly subject to change on a daily basis without warning. So it's very possible that though you might be expecting 2.99% or you might be expecting 2.1%, whatever it is, it's possible that can change between now and when you settle your property. Yeah, And that's doubly, trebly, quadruply true of a fixed rate product. Yeah. The banks fix based on what they can buy the money at. It's generally a securitized process. There's generally money coming from overseas. They package it up and sell it. So it's highly likely that your fixed rate during the course of your property hunt and your property journey will change. And in this environment, you'd bet on it changing against you, becoming more expensive. So if you say, I really want a three-year fixed rate and I really want it to be 2.5%, though that money's already moved. It's already gone up. So with a variable rate loan, of course, you get the variable rate on the day. That's true of the fixed rates as well. If the bank moves their pricing and fixed rates become more expensive in between when you sign the contract and settlement, unless you rate lock, unless you formally lock in what you 
are applying for and pay a fee, you will get the fixed rate that's applicable on the day of settlement. So that's something to bear in mind. Um, it's not to say you can't get a good fixed rate or there might there might even be another lender that rolls out an even better fixed rate yeah. once you've actually found your property. But, yeah, get approved variable yeah. and then think about fixing once you've actually signed a contract and know when you're going to settle because fixed rates, to lock them in, you have to for, fill out a form, sign it, usually put a credit card on there, your credit card number to pay the fee. And the fee's sometimes a flat fee. It might be as little as $600 and valid for 60 or 90 days. Um, in other instances, the fixed rate locking rate lock is uh, a percentage, so So yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a, a tip and a trick for young players, new players. You yeah. just want to make sure Definitely that uh, you do what you're about. asking for. Yeah. Say, so Stacey and Kobe have got their pre-approval. Do they need to ensure they? do certain things like live a certain way of life in that pre-approval time to ensure that everything's, you know, still ticks all the boxes? Absolutely. Look, in most cases, people are already doing the right things when they secure the pre-approval, the, yeah. pre- the approval principle, though it's super-duper important not to lose your job. <laughs> it's super-duper important not for your business not to go broke, and it's super-duper important to stay on top of obligations. Yeah. Um, no don't, don't book that $20,000 year of holiday. Yeah, just don't Maybe not. <laughs> and the number of times that people buy a property and then they're on a plane overseas the next day, it curls hair for mortgage people because we do need you here to sign things or we do need you to talk to and we do need you here. So that's a, yeah, try not to book the international holiday. Yeah. But certainly, if you've got a credit card, maintain it well. Don't yeah. slip over the limit. Don't... Um, fall into arrears on your car loan. Yeah. Don't run away and join the circus and quit your job, okay? Because there's plenty of instances where people do all of those things and they do it within their credit approval period so it doesn't become apparent to the bank. But if you have to come back and refresh it or if there's a major policy or lending shift and things are no longer available or they're available differently yeah. and you fall into a different criteria for assessment, you can find your loan size is less generous than it was before. Mm. Or you can find that uh, you may not really qualify at all. So you want to maintain excellent financial hygiene and stay on top of all your debts and your bills. Don't pay them a month early. I mean, you know, and don't stop living your life. I'm a foodie. I like my bottle of wine. So you don't need to be a complete scrooge about it. You don't need to stop living your life. But you want to make sure you're living within your means and you want to make sure you're demonstrating good credit conduct uh, and fundamentally that's just doing what you're obliged to do under whatever the credit contract is yep sounds good now we're going to have a short break and come back with more from mortgage broker evan davis from MoneyCat, where we will talk about conditional approvals or some might say indicative approvals as well as knowing when you are officially approved You're listening to Real Estate Right, and we are talking to money expert Evan Davis from MoneyCat about pre-approvals and approvals when it comes to home loans. So, Evan. Money expert, I like that. I, I'm more a debt expert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, certainly, it's all about how you look at it, isn't it? Money yeah. is important and debt is important. You make more money, I believe. Uh, using other people's money and borrowing than you'll ever make just by saving it. That's my personal belief. That's yep. my financial 
<laughs> oh, good. Now, what is a conditional approval or an indicative approval? Sure. Now, when you get your approval in principle, it's not going to be a formal, unconditional approval. What's going to happen is the bank's going to say, yeah, bang, you're approved up to a loan of X dollars. And we think you can afford that based on your deposit, how much you're going to put in, um, or your valuation if you're refinancing, or we think uh, we, we think you can borrow that based on your serviceability, your income. But unless you've got the valuation done and you've bought, uh, it's not going to become a formal approval just yet. It'll be conditional on something. So the best conditional approval you can have is the bank's checked your income. You've got the big tick, you can afford it. You've got a big enough deposit or you've got enough equity in the property, tick, that's ticked off. You're buying in the right area, the postcode, location suitable for the bank's lending policy. All of their terms and conditions have been ticked off. The best conditional approval will be one where you're buying subject to valuation on the property. Okay. It's very possible there might be other conditions as well. They might need another payslip to annualise your overtime or your bonuses or it might be subject to your closing your credit card down because the banks treat a credit card as a debt whether you've actually drawn on it or not. They assume that you're just going to run down to Crown Casino and max it out and therefore it will be a repayment. Don't we know so, that? Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, the, banks, the banks invariably will say, we will lend you, in uh, Stacey and Kobe's example, we'll lend you the $600,000, yeah. but it might be subject to you, one, buying an acceptable property to us. So that just means... It meets their guidelines and the broker will tell you what those are. But if you're buying a vanilla house or a vanilla apartment, it generally will, like a good two-bedroom apartment, not a studio, not a bedroom. Um, so, yeah, the valuation is a bit of a lender's get-out-of-jail-free card. So if you go and buy a factory, not a house, they're going to yeah. say no. Or if you go and buy uh, a, a very unusual warehouse conversion, that might flag a problem mm. with the lender. But in most cases, the valuations are tick and flip. In most cases, with a good enough deposit, a formal valuation where a person walks through, the property is not even completed. It's often a computer bell, a drive-by or a model estimate. So, um, yeah, invariably, you'll be given a conditional approval with things you either have to do, as in shut credit card, or things that need to happen afterwards. So standard conditional approvals, the best conditional approvals say that you continue to meet the bank's terms and conditions yeah. and uh, policy and there, there has to be evaluation done on the property uh, at what level will be uh, determined by the contract you sign and you deposit and similar things. Um, yeah. And the conditional approval will be things that need to be met before the loan is unconditionally approved. The lender tells you no ifs, no buts, no yeah. maybes, this is happening. And most importantly, here are your loan contracts for you to review and sign. So a conditional approval, it's not the first step, but it's yeah. a very important step. Yes. And uh, you want, once you've got that conditional approval, which is part of or it is the approval in principle in most cases, once you've got that indicative approval, conditional approval, that's what you want to, again, familiarise yourself with very, very well, know when it expires and know what you're obliged to do. And it's very common in almost all cases these days that uh, lenders are asking people to reduce credit card limits or close credit cards completely in order to increase their borrowing power. So, okay. and so yeah, know what your conditional approval okay. requests are and uh, get them yep. done to get a formal approval. So if Stacey and Kobe, as they bought themselves a house in Werribee for 620 grand, sure. and Find them dotted line, knowing yeah, that they just bought. They just bought for more than their previous approval, six hundred. <laughs> no, 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 no. They had they bought. They had hundred grand 
bought a house for six hundred and twenty. Yeah, and they've bought a house for six twenty. I laugh laugh because customs. I laugh because customs often do that. Oh, do they? I'll often go and pay for a sticky amount more and not tell us until we see the, the contract and sale that we've got to wave our magic wands. Oh, okay. So, yeah. No, these guys are doing the right thing. They've, they've got their $100,000 deposit. They've bought something for six twenty, so they've basically got to borrow five twenty plus stamps. Sure. They're first-time buyers, so they're probably not going to have any stamps. Um, you know, they've done the right thing, essentially. Cool. So Already they're going to get an easier approval. <laughs> <laughs> Does the property still need to be valued at this stage because, you know, they've bought something under what they've required? Yeah. Yes. The lenders will always reserve the right to do a valuation on the property because, again, they're not really checking that you've paid the right price for it. There's there's, uh, tolerances there because they know that the property market's dynamic and not all two properties are the same. Some are more valuable. Some have higher appeal. So the price is going to fluctuate. But if you're buying... Through a licensed real estate agent, that's deemed to be on market. It's an on market transaction. Now, the the higher your leverage, if you're going to borrow ninety five or ninety eight percent of your purchase, that'll almost in every instance. In fact, it will in every instance be a formal valuation where someone goes out there in a little car, they get out of the car with a camera and a clipboard, and they walk through and tick boxes and make notes and they'll yeah. measure the property against comparable sales in the area. You'd have to be buying for profoundly more than market to have any kind of questions asked. And I mean profoundly more than market. But if it's a lower loan-to-value ratio, so if you're borrowing only 80% of the assets, so if they bought for, was it a flat 600? If they bought, no, 620, if they bought for 620 um, at 80%, if their deposit was sufficient to put in 20% and also pay the purchase costs, which I think on those rough numbers it would be, they would likely not have a formal valuation done. It's more likely, and particularly with a more mainstream lender, that it would be um, a desktop valuation, a computer valuation, drive-by. However, if Stacey and Kobe were self-employed and they were using, uh, I use the terminology LODOC, it's a bit old-fashioned, if they were using an alt-doc loan or a self-employed specialist-style loan, um, a lender like that that's uh, a non-bank lender or a non-prime lender, they would still, because they're selling a riskier product, they would still probably do a full valuation on the property. Some brokers order valuations themselves. Some lenders don't allow brokers that uh, privilege, and they lend, they'll do the valuations um, at credit assessment stage. So it's prudent to ask the question, when will the valuation be done, and try with your broker to get it done as early as possible because you don't want to have to fight tooth and nail to get the approval and then have the valuation done in the last week because that takes days or week. Not It's not instantaneous. A computer valuation is instantaneous and uh, that'll spit back a result uh, within minutes of it all being keyed into a computer. So the valuation is something that can add time to converting a conditional approval to a full approval, a formal approval, an unconditional approval. So it's great to get that valuation done at the earliest possible time. Yeah. Say Mr. Value Art has valued the property at 600, not 620. Okay. It does happen. It's very rare. So an example of where that might happen if um, uh, there's a, a deck on the side of the property that's in very bad repair or there might be a bathroom that's completely unserviceable. And the value made, made notes that, in his or her opinion, it might take $20,000 to rectify that. 
If the valuation happens to return lower than contract price, it does happen, though it is around, um, what will happen is the lender will lend on the lower of the two. They'll say, you bought for 620, we valued the property at 600, therefore our 80% or our 90% or our 95% loan-to-value ratio will be measured on the lower of the two. What that translates to in real terms is our borrowers will have to stump up more cash to fill that gap. So, uh, yeah, they'd have to have extra money based on the ratios to make that work. So if they're borrowing 80% of 600, that's uh, $480,000 if I've done my maths right. Yeah. And uh, if the if it's six hundred if the valuation is six hundred and twenty thousand dollars, um, they would have otherwise been able to borrow eighty percent of that, which is four hundred and ninety six thousand dollars. So that gap they would need to fund. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so when does the loan become approved? So when you sign when you sign a contract for sale to buy a property, the lender then completes the valuations and satisfies any conditional approval items that are left, and that's when you get your formal approval. It's, it's fully approved basically when you sign the loan, loan documents, really, isn't it? Well, when you sign the, yeah, well, that's right. So when you've signed your contract, you've met all the conditions, including valuation, if that's a condition, yeah. then you get formal approval, and generally you get uh, pretty immediately your contracts from the lender after that. So you've got the no if, no but, unconditional approval letter that tells you repayment amounts, tells you the interest rate, tells you the term, how long the loan is. Yeah. And then the lender uh, will usually use an outsourced lawyer. So uh, it's m- most common for most lenders to use a third-party lawyer to repair the home loan contracts. Yeah. And they'll come to you as a big bundle, generally electronically these days, which is great. And then you dock your sign them. Yeah. If you're happy with all the terms and conditions and you're happy with all uh, the repayment amounts, if it is what matches the quote that you've been given at the beginning. That's when you execute your loan contracts and that's when you've got the deal. All done, no ifs, no buts, no maybes, and hopefully, hopefully those loan contracts come to you well before settlement so that you can then cruise through uh, in a stress-free or as much of a stress-free situation as you can because you don't want to be scrambling. If you, you don't want to be scrambling a few days to get the approval, sign the contracts, transfer your funds around so you can buy through and then settle the, uh, settle the purchase. Yeah. Sounds great. Okay, I think Stacey and Kobe know exactly what to do now in terms of uh, getting their uh, their home loan journey approved. So, yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, Evan, for coming yeah, on no Real Estate Right today. We, we love helping people uh, get ready and property ready. We love helping people select uh, the right lender, and we've got lots of recommendations for people from all walks of life. Yep. So if you need any help with your home loan or if you just want to, have a bit of a money talk with a apparent money expert, please uh, Please feel free to give me a ring. I, I like talking debt. Okay, well, in saying that, what? Um, how can listeners get in contact with you? What's your phone number? What's your email? Um, okay, email I, am Evan, I am Evan Davis. Uh, I am the CEO of Money Cat Finance. So, they call me they call me Boss Cat or Big Cat. You can just call me Evan. We're 338 Chapel Street, Paran. We have another office in Moorabbin. You can get me on my mobile number, that's 0413 That's my best retail voice, 0413 or evan at moneycat.com.au. I'm happy to talk to anyone at any stage of the buying journey. The chat is always cost and obligation free. Um, and in that chat, we can identify any potential fees and charges from any lender we can identify quote on repayment amounts and we can identify your affordability and help you select 
something that will get you into a property, but we do in all cases recommend uh, getting your pre-approval done, your approval and principle done first, and in all cases we do recommend that you hold in your hot little hand that all-important approval letter because that means that you will be able to buy with the highest level of confidence, you'll be able to outperform other buyers, and you'll be able to make gutsier offers, you'll be able to make offers that are more compelling to a vendor. And in this market, that's never been more important. The vendors are still getting great prices. The property market, particularly in Melbourne, I think is still largely in top gear. So uh, it's a competitive place to buy. It's the best city in the world, so they say. <laughs> I think it is. And um, yeah, the prices do match. It's an expensive city. So make sure you've got those ducks lined up and make sure everything is in the highest possible order and organised as best as it possibly can be. Thank you so much, Evan. Now, next week, we have the delightful Emily Wallace, buyer's advocate, on to talk to us about the art of negotiation. There is definitely a right way and a wrong way, and so many buyers think they are in for a chance, when in reality, they haven't got all their ducks in a row. Ah, again, we've got the ducks in a row. If you're keen to get that amazing property, this is the one episode for you, and you don't want to miss it. Real Estate Right, it's produced by Real Copyright, one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting companies. And it's written, hosted and produced by me, Sue Langada, with the support of my production and social media assistant, Lisa Fisher. All information given on this podcast is a guide only and delivered to help you understand the intricacies that can happen in real estate. We recommend that you get professional advice that is designed for your own personal circumstances. We would like to thank Podbean for hosting this podcast, Premium Beat for their music, Francis Morello for his voiceover, and Zoom for the recording. If you have a real estate story that is inspiring or a great how-to tip, please contact Lisa on 5977-889 to find out how you can be a guest on Real Estate Right in 2022. If you would like to know more about our copywriting services, please email Lisa at orders at realcopyright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters and investors get their real estate right.